Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Call out upon the blood of the Lamb. Get registered in heaven so that when you face God, the judge of all, and it goes on to say here, God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. It doesn't say to the spirits of perfect men because God's not looking for uber-religious people who are perfect. There's only been one perfect life lived on this earth, and it is only because of Him and the blood He shed on the cross that any of us can ever reach perfection. Stop trying to live perfectly. It just ain't gonna happen. Instead, call out upon the name of Jesus. Ask for His forgiveness, His grace, and allow Him to purify you day after day after day. Here's the continuation of our teaching from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 through 28 with Robert Furrow. Stay right there. The firstborn of their day in biblical times was different. First of all, your daughter couldn't be your firstborn. It was your firstborn male. Secondly, he was the one that received the inheritance. All your other kids got leftovers. Now we don't do that anymore. We spend all our money and leave nothing to our kids. <laughs> and if by chance we do leave something, we divide it equally among our children, right? But they were the firstborn. And if you were the firstborn son, then everything that your father had belonged to you without the whatever else the kids get. The majority goes to you as the firstborn and everybody else gets something, but not what you get. We are the church of the firstborn. We have an inheritance. That firstborn speaks of the inheritance that you and I have. We have been given heavenly riches. We have the inheritance. Folks, the inheritance that we have is greater than any parent has ever left you. Maybe you were left a great inheritance by your parents. It's nothing compared to what God's leaving you because we are the church of the firstborn. We have an inheritance from him. Now, not only are we the church of the firstborn, but the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. What does it mean to be registered in heaven? Well, registered, like you would register for a conference. We have a conference here at the church every March, pastor's conference. And um, it used to be that we could leave the evenings open because there were so few people at the conference that we could open it up to the body and the body could come down and hear the evening sessions. But the conference has gotten really big now. We have 12, 1,500 people that come out for the three-day conference, which is awesome. But now we can't open it up to the body anymore because there's no room. So when we register people, we give them a little tag. And that tag allows them to come in the building. And we put somebody outside the building looking for tags. And when someone comes to hear the word of God and be blessed, we tell them, go away. <laughs> you can't come in here. You don't have, you're not registered. It's kind of funny that we do that, isn't it? <laughs> that we stand little police guys out there to look for people's registration. But that's what's going to happen in heaven. You are either registered or you ain't. Your name is either written in the Lamb's Book of Life or you're not. And you don't get that registration by climbing Mount Sinai. You don't get it through works because not even a cow could touch the mountain. How are you going to climb it? Mount Sinai speaks of separation. It speaks of devastation. It speaks of judgment, but not Mount Jerusalem. Mount Jerusalem has a whole general assembly that climbs up that mountain. And we all gather together up on top. Where there was hesitation with Mount Sinai, there is boldness with Jerusalem, with the new Jerusalem. And we climb up on top of that mountain because we are the ones who are registered. And let me say, if you're not registered, then get registered. 
You know how you register for heaven? By the blood of the Lamb. It's written in His blood, and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Bible says this, it's appointed once for man to die, and then comes judgment. You have an appointment with God. You, you have an appointment with God. And you can't change that appointment. You can't call God up. God, God I just can't make it. It's worked it out for, I don't know, 20 years down the road. Jesus told the story of a man, a farmer, had a bumper crop that year. And he said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to put all my stuff in there and I'm going to say to myself, self, take it easy. In other words, it's time for me to retire. I'm kicking back. I have all this stuff. And Jesus said to that man, you fool, today your life is required of you. Everyone has a day in which their life is required of them. That is the appointment. And Jesus called him a fool because all he cared about was the things of this earth. He didn't care about the things of heaven. He didn't care about the things of eternity. He just took care of his insurance. Think about us. Are we so worried about our 401 or 503 or retirement or whatever else there is out there, or 2162 or 4593? <laughs> that we aren't dealing with the things in heaven at all? Well, one day, everything on earth will be shaken. Not only will everything be shaken on earth, but in heaven as well. Heaven and earth that will be shaken. And your, your mutual funds aren't gonna survive that shaking. They're going to shake away. And you will stand before God with only that that really matters. When you register in heaven, you gain that eternity. And so it goes on to say then, the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God, the judge of all. God is the judge of all. People in the world don't like that. If you are a highlighter or an underliner, underline that phrase, to God, the judge of all. We, humanity, are under a judge, all of us. You say, well, I don't like being under a judge. Well, you are. If you do a crime here in the city of Tucson, you're gonna find out that you're under a judge. If you do a crime and get caught, I heard of a guy who was base jumping. You know what base jumping is? They sneak up onto buildings, tall buildings in cities, and they jump off with a parachute and they float down. Well, this one guy was base jumping, and when he did it, he saw a cop car. You know how they could kind of direct themselves on which way they go? He went and landed right by the cop car. So the cop, when he landed, went, put your hands behind your back, and arrested him. Because it's illegal to base jump without permission. They do it for movies, and they, they do things, but it's illegal in general. So if you commit a crime, and you're caught, the next thing you know, you're going to stand before a city judge. There's the city court in Tucson, and there are judges on that, and they will judge you. And if you show up with a bunch of attitude, they're going to be strict on you. They have a certain, they can make it easy or they can make it tough. And it's crazy that anybody would stand in front of them with attitude, isn't it? You would think that if you're going to stand before a judge, you're like, I'm sorry, please. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Sorry, right? Right? But they don't. Now, if you cross state lines when you commit that crime, you're not going to stand before a judge in Tucson or a state judge in Phoenix. You're going to stand before federal judges. And that's even scarier. But everybody not only under a city judge and a state judge and a federal judge, but everybody's under a universal judge. And he is the judge of all judges and he will judge all mankind. And some people say, well, I'm not worried about that. I'll stand on my own. I'm a good person. You ever had somebody say that to you? I'm a good person. I never murdered anybody. It's funny that that's our standard. Murderers judged by God, non-murderers, everybody is okay. That's your standard. That's not God's. You say, I'm a good person. I don't, I don't speed up when teenagers are in the crosswalk. 
We all will be judged by him, the judge of the universe. And there's only one way to escape that judgment. And this is the judge of Mount Sinai, fire and shaking and blackness and trembling and the ground shaking when he speaks. And you say, oh, I'll, I'll take my chances. <laughs> no, no, you don't want to take your chances. Call out upon the blood of the lamb. Get registered in heaven so that when you face God, the judge of all, and it goes on to say here, God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. It doesn't say to the spirits of perfect men because God's not looking for uber religious people who are perfect. There are people who think they're perfect. There are people that, that have climbed Mount Sinai that are religious and climbed the, the law. I don't smoke, I don't chew, and I don't go with girls who do. <laughs> Therefore, I'm on my way to heaven. And whatever your little list of rules of do's and don'ts, you do the do's and you don't do the don'ts, and you think that you're okay with God, you're going to find out you're not, that that will never make it into heaven. It is only by trusting in him that we are made perfect. Read it again, the end of 23. To the spirits of just men made perfect. Not just perfect men, but just men made perfect. And you can be made perfect today if you come to him, to Jesus not only do we come up to Mount Zion, to God, the judge of all, but to Jesus. The Bible says that when he came to earth, he put his glory aside. And one day we will behold him in all of his glory. And then you will wonder why you ever cursed in the name of Jesus. You will wonder why you didn't come to him then. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. Moses was the mediator of the old covenant, up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, up the mountain, down the mountain, and get back down there. That was Moses. But Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks of better things than that of Abel. Not of Abel's blood that was killed by Cain, but of the sacrifice Abel brought. Remember, Abel brought a lamb that was sacrificed and Cain brought the fruit of his hands as a sacrifice. Cain's represented religious works and you can never get to God by religious works Abel's represented the blood of the lamb and you can always get to God by the blood of the lamb that is Jesus that takes away the sins of the world and Abel was the first sacrifice the first of anything in the Bible is significant the first sacrifice that speaks of the blood of Jesus is significant and the fact that Abel was justified by the blood of the lamb is significant but the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus is better than the sacrifice of Abel that's what verse 24 is saying. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now that's a warning spoken to all of us. See that you don't refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, if they were at that mountain and they heard God's voice and they refused him and they didn't escape, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Now this is a warning. It's a severe warning. If they didn't escape when God spoke on earth, then what makes you think you're going to escape if you turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Now, you might say, I didn't think we could turn away. I believed in once saved, always saved. Once I raised my hand, once I prayed that prayer, I could go out and live like I want to live, and I'm still saved. Now, I don't know who tried to sell you that bill of goods, all right? But no one believes that. Let me say that again with emphasis, if it wasn't enough. No one believes that if you raise your hand or pray your prayer or become a Christian and then go out and live apart from God, that you're saved. 
Those who teach once saved, always saved will say of the person that walked away that they were never saved, proven by the fact that they walked away. So if you have walked away from God and you are living an ungodly lifestyle now and you are camping on the fact that you were told when you were a kid that once you get saved, you're always saved, you realize that no one teaches that you're okay. I'm not okay, you're not okay. I'm okay, you're okay, nope. When you walk away from God, if it's Calvinism or double predestinarianism, there's one for you, huh? You guys know what double predestinarianism is? I'm going to give it to you, right? This is the definition of double predestinarianism. This is a theological term. They believe, someone who's a double predestinarian, believes that God predestines people to be saved. And those people can't be lost. And believe that God predestines some to be lost. And those people can't be saved. In other words, they would believe in this room, some of you guys are saved and no matter what you do, think, smell, choose, nothing, you can't be lost. And some of you are lost and no matter what you do, choose, smell, think, you can't be saved. I don't believe that. We, I say me and most of us in this room, are not double predestinarians. Reformed theology, uber Calvinists are double predestinarians. And they, they teach that if you're saved, you're saved. If you're not, you're not. And there's nothing that you can do about it. It's kind of a, why would you even do the work of the gospel if you believe that? They say, well, we get to do work with God and that's the blessing that's there. I believe what we do changes destinies. And the Bible says Jesus died once for all. D.L. Moody was not a double predestinarian. D.L. Moody lived in the late 1800s. This argument with Reformed theology and Calvinism has been going on since before the time of John Calvin, who was given the thought of being a double predestinarian. He was given for the one that kind of came up with it. It was before him. And there was arguments in the church even before that. D.L. Moody was not a double predestinarian, and it's said that Charles Spurgeon was. Interesting thing about Spurgeon and D.L. Moody, did you know neither of them had formal training? Neither of them came out of theologies or seminaries. They were just guys that God called, and they began to preach, and God began to bless them. And both of them were incredibly successful, one of them in England and one of them in the United States. Well, Charles Spurgeon is called the champion of the Calvinist. Although I listened to the quotes by Spurgeon, and I go, I don't know that he believed that. And Charles Spurgeon would give people a chance to get saved at all of his services. He would say, if you want to give your life to the Lord, then I want you to meet me Monday morning at my office and I'll lead you to Christ. They criticize us. Double predestinarians criticize us for having altar calls. Did you know that? Well, Calvary, they give altar calls. Ooh, that's a bad thing. We give people a chance to get saved. But D.L. Moody and Charles Spurgeon were friends. So much so that when Charles Spurgeon died, he left his preaching Bible to D.L. Moody. His wife called up Moody or sent a message to Moody because you didn't call up in those days. Sent a message to Moody and sent Charles Spurgeon's Bible to him. I just say that to say, listen, you're a double predestinarian. You're a Calvinist. More power to you. I like to say, if you want to be wrong, you can be wrong. I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to fight over that issue because you've got to get to such places where you say, well, all doesn't mean all and whosoever doesn't mean whosoever. And when it says here, if we turn away, it doesn't mean we. Right? Look at how it's worded here. Look at what he says. Verse 25 again. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him to speak on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? And so a double predestinarian says, well, the we there doesn't mean we. The author wasn't including himself. We there meant they. It was them. It was people who didn't really know God. It was people who weren't saved yet. 
And he's telling him, if you refuse, you're really going to be into it. That's not what it says. And so you have to begin to do these, these spiritual gymnastics or scriptural gymnastics with the Bible in order to try to get it to say what you want it to say. If you walk away from Jesus, if you turn your back on him, if you go back into religiosity or whatever else that it is, if you start living for yourself and you are away from him, there is a question as to whether or not you are okay. From time to time, people will tell me, listen, I started, started having sex with my girlfriend and I'm kind of getting out and going out and getting drunk. Am I, am I still a Christian? All people that will ask me that question. And my answer to them is always the same. I don't know. Listen, God's the one who judges you, not me. I'm not the one to, to judge that. So I don't know if you're okay or not. But you're on dangerous ground. If you're not already lost, you could end up being lost. So there's controversy there. However, I've never had anybody say to me, I'm really close to Jesus. I'm loving him and walking with him. I'm asking for my sins to be forgiven and staying close to him. Am I okay? See, everybody knows they're okay when that's happening, right? So where is the place for you to be? Stay close with Jesus. If I get up to heaven and God says, Robert, I'm upset with you. Double predestination was right. What's the worst that's gonna happen now? Sorry, God. <laughs> but everybody that I preached to that got saved still gotten saved right? But what if double predestinarian is wrong and these people aren't preaching the gospel because they're afraid to give false hope? Isn't that silly? What does the Bible say? Preach the gospel to every creature, it says in Mark 16. Every creature. Have you preached the gospel to your dog and cat yet? <laughs> has your bird gotten saved? Yes. Yes. You know, yes. <laughs> now I know it's not talking about us preaching to animals, but it says every creature to give us the idea that everybody everybody needs to be preached to. Now, after giving this warning that if you turn away, you're not going to escape, it says in verse 25, whose voice then shook the earth. On that mountain, the voice of God shook the earth. But now he has promised saying yet once more, and not only the earth, but also the heavens. The day is coming when God will shake the heavens and the earth. The book of Revelation tells us that it's in the tribulation period and God will not only grab the earth and shake it, but he will shake heaven. An earthquake is terrifying. There will be a worldwide earthquake, but not only a worldwide earthquake, there will be an, a heaven quake and an earthquake and God will shake everything. But not only will God shake the heavens and the earth, but he's gonna shake everybody so that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Look at verse 27. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, not the things which cannot be shaken, that they may remain. God is going to shake the earth and God's going to shake people so that until everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You think things are bad now? You think that the earth's being shaken now? Somebody said to me, don't you think we're already being shaken by this economic crisis that we're in now? You think that's the shaking? You ain't seen nothing yet. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, not false grace. People redefine grace. Again, I'm back to double predestinarians. They say that grace is God choosing some people to be saved and choosing some people to be lost. They call grace excluding people who are perishing, that grace can't be given to them. I could call grace a purple bird that flies in the sky. Just because I call it that doesn't mean it's a purple bird that flies in the sky. When they say in arrogance, well, they don't understand grace. 
meaning that they don't understand double predestination. Hey, you could call it whatever you want to, but grace is still grace. And grace has nothing to do with double predestination. It has to do with God's unmerited favor. It has to do with God pouring love and favor down upon you. Then let us live by grace. Let us live by God's favor because everything else will be shaken. And it says in verse 28, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for God is a consuming fire. Live for God with everything because he is a consuming fire. And one day we will stand before him and it is a fearful thing to stand before the living God. He is a consuming fire. I wanna read to you the end. Let me read to you the very end of the book of Charles Dickens' uh, Tale of Two Cities. Now, you remember the, the gist of the story? This is a spoiler alert, by the way, if you've never read the book or saw the movie, all right? There's two guys that look alike, and both of them are in love with the same woman, right? One of them is a scoundrel, and one of them has integrity. The woman loves the one shocking with integrity, okay? She doesn't care for the one that's a scoundrel. The scoundrel is deeply in love with her. And so the scoundrel has backed away so that she can have a relationship, marry the one who has integrity. Well, the one with integrity gets arrested and thrown into, what's the prison? Baston? Bastille, thank you. He's thrown into Bastille. And so the scoundrel who looks like him sneaks in, takes his place because he's destined for the gallows. He's destined to be beheaded. And he sneaks in and he takes his place. And so the, the scoundrel ends up giving his life so that the man whom she, of the lady who he loves can be with her. It's a story of sacrifice. It's a story of love. It's a, it's a powerful story. But he, as he walks up to the guillotine, here's what he says. It is a far, far better thing that I do. That double emphasis is a motif throughout the whole book, by the way. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest that I go to than I have ever known. Mount Zion is a far, far better rest than we have ever known. It is a far, far better mountain. And if you have never made a commitment to him, if you are still living for yourself and still living for earthly things, let's shake those things off. Let's shake them off and get rid of them before God shakes them. Because one day everything will be shaken. I believe it's around the corner. I think we're living in those days. I could be wrong. Maybe another 50 or 100 years, I don't know. But if it is our day, is your world gonna be shaken apart? Or when everything is shaken, will that which is important to you remain? Because it could never be shaken. Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for your word here. We thank you for this picture of these two mountains, the mountains that we can go to. And Lord, we don't want to go to the mountain of Sinai, of fear and trembling, but we want to go to Mount Zion, to the, the general assembly, to the church of the firstborn, of those registered in heaven, that we can go to God, the judge of all, and the Son, who is the mediator between everyone. And Lord, thank you for the promise of eternity. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us and give us the ability to live our lives today for you, to live our lives for your glory. And thank you that you have called us and saved us and washed us by the blood and send us out by the power of your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit, baptize us in your Spirit that we can go out and do the work that you have called us to do. Lord, give us opportunities to share Christ with those around us, those whom we love and those that we casually meet. Open up doors that we be able just to open up and share with them. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. 
Amen. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.